Welcome to the Progress Your Health podcast with your hosts, Dr. Robert Mackey and Dr. Valerie Davidson, a husband and wife team who specialize in bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and functional medicine. They're here to help you lose weight, balance hormones, and age gracefully. It's their mission to motivate, educate, and empower you to take your health to the next level. And now your hosts, hormone experts, Dr. Mackey and Dr. Davidson. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Progress Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Mackey. And I'm Dr. Davidson. Uh, so on this one, we have uh, uh, actually a question from Marissa. She reached out. Uh, she, uh, honestly, it was a very nice email. Uh, she just found our one of our podcasts. I think it was uh, episode 69, I believe it was, uh, where we went into uh, talking about adren- uh, sleeping with adrenal issues. Uh, and after that, she sent a very complimentary email, uh, and she gives you know quite a bit of detail. Uh, but I felt like it was worthwhile for us to discuss. Not only that she took the time to send us the email, but at the at, uh, you know also because she does give some detail that uh, I think you know as we we're trying to do here, a lot of people can learn from her experience. And on episode sixty nine, we talked about the adrenals and sleep. And we um, have some kind of characters we deemed as part of the adrenal fatigue causing sleep issues. We have the zombie, which um, sleeps all night and all day, could sleep forever, 24-7. And then we have the vampire, which tough, tough time waking up in the morning. But come evening time, they are alive. So vampire, zombie, and then what Marissa, which I'm going to go into her question here um, in a second, is a ghost. So we have a ghost, which is where you fall asleep just fine, no problem, but you wake up in the middle of the night, whether it's once for a couple hours or several times throughout the night. Yeah, right. And we, uh, if you look at that, uh, uh, if you listen to that episode, we do kind of break up the ghost into two, uh, the poltergeist and the ghoul, which are two different versions of a ghost, um, because of those subtle differences, like you said, the, um, and I, I don't remember which one it is now. I'd have to go back and listen to myself. So which one is the one that wakes up for long periods of time? So that was what we named the ghoul, because yeah. you wake up and you're like roaming the halls, as we say on there, basically roaming your, your smartphone in the middle of the night for an hour or more because you're wide awake where the poltergeist, you know, is kind of like a little, little gremlin, you know, a little mischievous will just wake you up all night. You're up, you know, up hour later, I'm up for, you know, five, 10 minutes, fall back asleep. Then I'm up. So you're just waking up peri- periodically throughout the night. Now, unfortunately we do have some people that are a combination of poltergeist and the ghoul, but in terms of being a ghost, being a zombie, being a vampire at all, on that episode, when we're talking about the adrenals, we're really talking about the diurnal curve of cortisol. Yeah, right. So I'm a ghoul, right? And uh, it's safe to say that you're a, definitely a poltergeist. I have been in the past, you know, in the past, I've, I've gotten better, but, you know, being a perimenopausal female, we technically, well, if you look at pretty much overall perimenopausal females, they fall more into the ghost category where younger people fall more into the the vampire category, and then just very fatigued, um, you know, very adrenal stressed, uh, chronically adrenal stressed people over lots, long time, they end up turning into a zombie. So um, if we were to really go into it, uh, you know, the, the vampire, the ghost will eventually at some point, if you don't, you know, do some intervention can possibly, they all turn into zombies at the end of the day. So that's, so that's a really neat episode. So as we're talking about Marissa and her question, if you aren't quite 
understanding, you can always go back and listen to podcast number 69. So we wanted to give you a little background as we're, as we're going through it. But basically, like I said, the sleep issues ha- come on episode 69 is comes from the cortisol levels, you know, the diurnal cur- curve of cortisol, where in a perfect world, your cortisol comes up nice and early in the morning. So you're bright eyed, bushy tailed, and then it stays up and comes down and then really nicely comes down very low in the evening time so that we can fall asleep and stay asleep. And then that, you know, that cycle is happening every day. Yeah, right. And, and that, what, and, and this is, you know, putting those characters to it is a little bit of a kind of tongue in cheek sort of way. So they're memorable. So you can identify, like you just said, I used to be, when I was in my twenties, late teens and twenties, I was a total vampire. Uh, I was, I used to work at a hospital night shift because I was just awake all the time. Um, but then I could literally sleep all day. Uh, and I did that for a long time. You actually turned me into, you know, a non vampire because you're always been kind of up early in the morning and I just eventually kind of followed suit. Um, but I was a proverbial, night owl for you know pretty much my entire 20s even in, maybe even into my early 30s I think I was a vampire and we're not making fun you know it just seems easier to instead of talk about you know adrenal fatigue one two three four five a b c d you know all that is just you know putting a little bit of some character to it is memorable for somebody to remember and we're not saying all you know the ages you know early as vampire you know you know, midlife is, you know, peri or perimenopausal females or ghosts are, um, you know, and then eventually everybody turns into a zombie. I don't want to be so distinctive as that. Like, for example, my sister-in-law, she's a total um, vampire and she's, she's in her, you know, early fifties. She, she can't get up till noon and stays up till three, even though she says, I really, really don't want to do this. I really need to wake up earlier. I just can't. And it really is because she is a true vampire. She's turned into a vampire because of the way her cortisol levels are. So in a vampire, you know, your cortisol levels are low in the morning, which is why you can't get up and you want to sleep and you have this relationship with snooze over and over and over. But come nighttime, you can't even remember why you were so tired in the morning because you finally feel awake and alive. Yeah, they might not be till like midnight. You know, <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. Usually after 10 o'clock and now they're, you know, like you say, they feel alive and it's midnight when you should be sleeping and now they finally feel awake. Uh, uh, that process, and I think with all three of them, but certainly with the vampire and the ghosts, for sure, uh, it's what, uh, you know, if you want to, you know, speak in physiologic language, it's a rev- what they call a reverse diurnal curve. The curve has flipped. So instead of having high cortisol in the morning uh, and low cortisol at night, you have just the opposite. You have low cortisol in the morning and high cortisol at night. Uh, and it, you know, just completely flips upside down. Now, if everybody went camping for a month, you know, um, that's a long time to go camping. But if you were in the woods for a while, no ambient light, no cell phones, no nothing, which in some ways is kind of, you know, a little anxiety provoking, even thinking about that uh, to some extent, because we're so, we're also attached to our devices that most of those problems would just disappear because there's nothing to, there's nothing that would uh, interfere with those uh, normal circadian rhythms. Exactly. And honestly, camping is always very peaceful and relaxing. So taking that stress of life and away from your adrenal glands would definitely help, you know, that diurnal curve. So that cortisol comes up in the morning and comes down. But for Marissa, Marissa is, and her question that I want to, that I want to read is she's, she's saying, Hey, I'm a ghost. Yeah, right, right. And she did say that it kind of described her to a T. And that's, uh, just from experience, that's why we kind of put them together that way because we see these patterns over and over and over. And when you go, you know, unfortunately, when you go, see, you know, you go see, I have a sleep study or go see your endocrinologist or your gynecologist or your GP, 
they're not going to tell you that you you act like a ghost or you act like a vampire. So it's uh, just a, a a different sort of way to you know for people to identify. And once you identify, now you know what the problem is. It's not a diagnosis. Being a vampire is not a diagnosis. But the term adrenal fatigue or adrenal dysfunction is too broad of a topic uh, necessarily to, you know, because there's a lot of issues and symptoms that show up underneath that umbrella that I think people are not clear with, both the patient on the patient side and certainly on the practitioner side. Uh, now, granted, in our world, being in functional medicine and being naturopaths, uh, the adrenal issue is pretty clear, but conventionally, they don't even believe that unless you have Cushing's or, cord- or Adson's disease, they don't even believe that any of these problems even exist. Uh, so they, they definitely happen on much more of a functional, practical level than an actual diagnosis. So um, that, per, you know, for a lot of people that are trying to get results or trying to get some improvement, that's a really challenging thing to do. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we, we always want to work on the sleep. And when you look at adrenal fatigue, it's not just about sleep. There's so many issues that go under adrenal insufficiency, adrenal dysfunction, adrenal fatigue. But you're right, you know, your typical, you know, conventional doctor, you got to love them. They probably aren't going to view it that way. If you go in and say, hey, I have trouble sleeping, or I wake up in the middle of the night for an hour and a half, they'll probably say, hey, join the club. Me too. Here's some medication. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we're not fans of any of the sleep medications because we think that they they kind of provide fake sleep. Uh, and even some of the other anti-anxiety medications and other things they use for sleep, those have kind of a slippery slope um, where once you start going down that path, then your sleep is, you're going to have some issues there, you know, on a long-term basis. If you're on a plane or if you're f- traveling somewhere and you maybe have some jet lag, okay, fine. Use them uh, very sparingly. Um, but um, um, that's why we're going to talk about this just because I think that it's uh, a lot of people can relate to it, especially with all the stressful things that are going on these days. So let me go ahead and um, read you Marissa's question um, or her email. It's a little long, but I, I think it's um, actually it's very complimentary. So I'm blushing and I, I love her already with what she says because she says, I truly appreciate what you're doing to share your information to the public. Exclamation mark, exclamation mark. You're helping many people learn about their body. She's, she's so awesome. Thank you, Marissa. So now it says, I wasn't sure the best place to ask this question or where you or where you may answer it, but I found your podcast after I've been digging into how to repair adrenals. I was elated once I found your podcast number 69, Adrenals Affecting Sleep, The Ghost, defined me to a T, and I wanted to learn more about how to get better from my symptoms, as you so clearly described. My main concern is that I wake up almost every night at 2 to 4 a.m., my neck is tight, and my heart is beating a little heavier. If I focus on my breathing, I can go back to bed shortly thereafter, but some nights it does take a little longer. I may wake up another time or two after that as well. Is this hormonal or adrenal? All of my hormone levels are low. So it's actually pretty great. Marissa goes into her hormone levels here. So all my hormone levels are low, except for progesterone is healthy at 169. I've taken a saliva test with normal cortisol levels. My TSH is high, the thyroid stimulating hormone is high at 5.3. My free T3 is 3.2. My free T4 is 1.2. I also take Armour Thyroid, 60 milligrams, and my vitamin D level is 60. Marissa goes on to describe she's a 44-year-old female. Her blood sugar is typically in the 80s in the morning when she checks it, which is amazing. And then that, which is also pretty amazing, is she eats mainly vegetables, but still focuses on all food groups. 
I've been focusing on my adrenals for the past two months and have been sleeping at 9.30 at night and sleep for about eight hours. I do exercise every other day, but take it easy not to wipe myself out. Body weights and walking, which is the best thing you can do for your adrenals because you're not pumping that cortisol all crazy with, you know, high hit heart, you know, cardio. Um, Anyway, that was my comment, not Marissa's. (laughs) Marissa goes on to say, I also take ashwagandha and practice meditation. My comment, love meditation and breathing exercises. Again, any guidance on what to look for is appreciated. All the tips you mentioned for how to help on the podcast I have I've been already doing for over a year. Oh, and she does say that she takes the Pharmagaba and the L-theanine, which is what we also talked about on episode um, podcast uh, 69, which helps her get back to sleep, but it doesn't help her from waking up. Yeah, so a lot of detail. Uh, we really appreciate that uh, in this context. Now, disclaimer, of course, we're not giving any medical advice. Uh, Marissa, of course, is not a patient of ours. Uh, this is intended to be educational. So people that are having similar situations in our patient base, uh, women that are in you know perimenopause, so basically women in their 40s, um, this is kind of a, a would you say a, a fairly a fairly common case for us? You know, she's forty four years old. Typically, you know, perimenopause can start anywhere in your late thirties or even to your late forties. Everybody's different, but right around the mid forties is when you start to see those female hormones change. So definitely, as and me speaking as a perimenopausal female myself, is sleep is probably one of the first things that you notice. And basically, it's no trouble falling asleep. I mean, go to bed in a second, but give, you know, three, four hours later after you've been sleeping fairly well, you're up. And then from there on, it's either you're up for an hour and a half. And then when you finally do go back to sleep, it's not the greatest sleep. And then you got to wake up or you just, up, you know, periodically throughout the night. So when you look at someone's sleep schedule in their mid forties, they really only get about four hours of good sleep, which is definitely, you know, a sleep debt. Yeah, right. And what we're trying to do with pretty much every patient, no matter if they're in their teens, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, what doesn't matter, the sleep in the first 30 days is, or maybe the, even the first three months is what we're trying to focus on. Because as you said a few minutes ago, everything falls off the, the sleep tree. Uh, your insulin sensitivity, your cortisol balance, your energy, your mood, uh, your weight, everything is going to come off of that and sleep. And now granted, that's a mute point, right? We all know sleep is important. But how do we get there is really the challenge. How do we actually achieve good quality sleep? Uh, when I, uh, uh, my, uh, our intake forms with a patient, I always ask as a letter grade, if you had to give your sleep quality a letter grade, what would it be? And invariably, women just like Marissa always grade their sleep somewhere between an F to a C minus. Um, usually it's an F or a D, um, which is part of the reason why they're coming to see us because they, they can't seem to figure it out or improve it in any way. And our goal is to get them to a good solid B on a nightly basis. What does that look like? That looks like they go to sleep at a reasonable time. Uh, what time, what is a, uh, an adult, a reasonable adult bedtime for most people? Well, I have a, I have a child's bedtime, you know, at nine o'clock <laughs> or maybe uh, even a little earlier. A little earlier. Yeah. yeah. But I like to wake up early, but I would say a reasonable, you know, adult female bedtime, you know, 10, yeah, right. You know, so people are maybe working, they work late into the evening, they get home, yeah. they got to decompress, they maybe they got to, you know, cook dinner, they got to, you know, take care of the kids, they got to do whatever. They have to have a little bit of time for themselves, right? Uh, and I, uh, in pe- people that are the, the, certainly the vampire, uh, 
you know, but a lot of times people are waiting to get tired. They're waiting to, you know, to get sleepy. Uh, and then that's why they end up staying up for, you know, a few extra hours than they need to. So instead of going to bed at 10, they're going to bed at 1130 midnight, you know, sometimes even later than that. So we usually say between uh, 10 o'clock in the morning until, you know, five, six in the morning when people have to start getting up, you know, that's roughly about an eight hour window. Uh, we want them to have a nice chunk of sleep. Uh, so roughly three to four hours in the beginning part of the night. Uh, if they do wake up, preferably one time, no restroom if possible, then they're able to fall back to sleep quickly and they sleep again for another three, four hours. That may be best case scenario for some people. To say you're going to sleep eight hours straight, like in Marissa's case, uh, that might not really be realistic. Um, but as long as the time that you are waking up is short, you roll over, you reposition, you go back to bed, you drift back off, and now you get a you know you get another uh, nice uh, you know few hours. Um, that you know from a you know from an adrenal perspective, from just good quality sleep perspective. Now we're now we're now we're in the ballpark. So, you know, Marissa is saying that her saliva test for her cortisol levels were almost normal. And, and, those, and those tests are great. Saliva tests are extremely accurate for testing your cortisol levels. But the reference ranges can be a little bit, um, a little bit vague. Because what I tend to find is that, especially with the ghost, is that their cortisol is actually pretty good in the morning, which is why they get up and get going. It drops in the afternoon, which is why ghosts tend to want to get everything done by, you know, noon or one in the afternoon. That's you. No. Noon. You're done <laughs> by, you're, 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 you're morning, you're done by noon. <laughs> but, you know, hey, they have that, that cortisol that drops. And then, then it looks, what you'll see on a cortisol test, saliva test for that, for the ghost is you see the, that it drops in the afternoon, but the cortisol is normal in the evening at bedtime. So it goes where you say, hey, it's normal, but really what happens is when you see it dip in the afternoon, but it comes up to normal in the evening time, that means that it's bouncing all night long, which is why the sleep isn't very well. And so I would love to have a look at Marissa's um, cortisol test because I bet her cortisol at night is normal or maybe even just a tiny bit elevated. And that's why she's saying that her neck is a little tight, that her heart is beating a little bit heavier, is when you have those... Um, catecholamines or, you know, adrenaline, cortisol, the stress hormones in your system, that's what it's supposed to do. Yeah, right. And when you are stretched a little thin, right, maybe you've got some stress at work, you're over-exercising. She says she's exercising every other day, so uh, she's clear not to be pushing herself physically too much. When there's not necessarily enough cortisol to go around, her blood sugar is listed at 80 I'd be curious to see if she, in the past, if she's ever had any low blood sugar symptoms, shaky, jittery, headache, uh, that hangry feeling, needing food right away. I would probably bet in the past she probably has. That is very often an indication of low adrenal function. Uh, uh, people that get dizzy, they sitting down uh, on the couch, on the kitchen table, whatever they stand, or maybe their desk at work. They stand up really fast to go do something, and all of a sudden they get a little dizzy. They have to hold on to something to kind of catch their bearings. That's also a sign of, they call that postural hypotension. It's another sign of low adrenal function. Uh, so if that's the case, uh, that's why in the middle of the night, she's having literally a little bit of adrenaline release into her, into her bloodstream, which is why her heart rate increases and her neck tightens up because it's like a, it's like a you know unnecessary sympathetic response that her body really can't she really can't help it, uh, you know. So when there's not enough cortisol to go around for whatever reason, the body dumps in a bunch of, uh, you know, adrenaline unnecessarily, and you start having these physiologic changes as a result of that. 
and just to, you know, we're talking about the adrenals with Marissa. So definitely those adrenals, we want to balance that cortisol, bring, you know, bring it up definitely. More, more than likely probably that afternoon, you know, late morning, afternoon, bring it down at night while she's sleeping. But there's probably a little bit of an impact on her adrenals coming from her thyroid because her TSH, the thyroid stimulating hormone, is pretty high up there, you know, at almost five and a half, at, you know, at 5.3. That's showing that her thyroid level is still probably on the low end and low thyroid is going to put more of a stress on those adrenals because, you know, they work together so fine, you know, finely tuned. Yeah, and she's on medication already and her TSH is still 5.3. Okay, so she's under medicated uh, and more than likely with a TSH like that, with medication, she probably has Hashimoto. So she probably has the antibodies, either anti-TPO, anti-thyroglobulin. Uh, now that doesn't necessarily add too much complexity to it, but it gives an idea, hey, there's an immune system issue going on here. Um, you know, very, very common to see a TSH, a high normal or kind of stubbornly high. Uh, uh, and granted, there is definitely an adrenal connection to that. Now, typically in a person that... Uh, is got a very active lifestyle. They're doing all the things right. She's doing lots of things right. Um, we would expect their TSH to be low end normal, like right around one, even maybe even below one. Um, very common to see that in, in, in women, particularly women that are exercising a lot. Um, so her having a, T, a TSH of 5.3, which is actually abnormal, the reference range only goes up to 4.5. Um, that's a huge, you know, I wouldn't say a huge red flag, but it tells us that, hey, there's something going on here. Uh, so in a, in a case like that, we would actually switch and increase her medication. We want that TSH to be lower. Uh, now her free T3 isn't bad at 3.2. That's you know pretty reasonable. Uh, so this is a case where we would actually pay attention to the TSH. Uh, you know, even though um, just because obviously it's too high, so that number definitely needs to go down. So those of you probably already know, but just in, um, for those that may not, is the thyroid stimulating hormone as a signal from the brain, and it works in a negative feedback loop that if the TSH is high, that means the thyroid function is low. And it, you know, reverse, if someone has a very high thyroid or they have Graves' disease or hyperthyroid, then you see that TSH almost non-existent. So that's why when you see Marissa's TSH high at almost five and a half, that, you know, distinctively says, hey, you know, she's got hypothyroid, maybe even Hashimoto's. She's probably underdosed. So, you know, first thing would be, you know, readjusting that thyroid also treating her as an individual, not just numbers on a piece of paper, but it's definitely a signal to say, hey, we got to work on the thyroid, you know, as part of our treatment plan. Right. So adrenals, definitely uh, supporting adrenals in the morning by raising cortisol in the morning, it automatically lowers it at night, right? Because all hormones in the body have a cycle to them. They rise and fall, rise and fall, rise and fall. Hormones are never static, uh, except when we dose them in menopause. That's the only time that hormones become somewhat static is because they're, you know, they're just not producing estrogen and progesterone anymore. That's an exception. But pretty much all the other hormones, insulin, cortisol, uh, you know, female hormones, testosterone, they all oscillate over the course of a month and a year and a lifetime. Uh, so by supporting adrenal function in the morning, supporting, uh, uh, trying to raise it in the morning and lower it at night, eventually that reverse diurnal curve comes back into balance. Uh, so usually dosing adrenal, uh, you know, adrenal type things, whether you're using glandulars, you're using licorice or other adaptogenic herbs, you're doing that in the morning, uh, up until noon. Uh, so you get a nice rise to the cortisol and then you're using 
other herbs and other things, like she said, pharmagaba, L-theanine. There's a bunch of other things you yeah, can do. Phosphatidyl, yeah, phosphatidyl, serine. Yeah, there's a bunch of other things you can do. Ashwagandha you use at night. Uh, um, uh, magnolia, there's a bunch of other herbs you can use to lower it at night. Uh, and now eventually, it takes a while, eventually that, you know, that pattern starts to you know, reproduce itself. Uh, now, uh, she did say her hormone levels are all normal except her progesterone, are, are all low except her progesterone. What do you think about that? Well, it's interesting because Marissa is 44 years old, so she's probably still cycling, so she's having a period. So when you do a, a blood test for hormones, you, you don't know when they, you know, or even a cortisol test or any test, you know, that's one day in one, you know, one day in your 28-day cycle. We don't know where she is in her cycle. So she could have been in the early phase, you know, that follicular phase, day one to day, you know, 12. She could have been in the luteal phase from day 14 to day 28. We don't really know, but typically most women right around their mid-40s have a drop in progesterone. It's pretty much across the board. And when you drop that progesterone, that tends to cause the cortisol to come up at night, which is why perimenopausal females have trouble sleeping in the middle of the night. It's not hot flashes like in menopause. It's not night sweats like in menopause. It's perimenopause with the estrogen is fine, you know, maybe a little lowish, but the progesterone is low. So even though she says hers is healthy and that it's normal there at 169, I'm not so certain um, and of course, I don't, not really sure what the units are with that 169. Usually, you know, it would be interesting to see. But um, I would say, when did you have that that test for your progesterone? And I really think it's probably low. Yeah, right. I I don't. I think that it's actually the opposite. Uh, it says that it's healthy, but in a 44 year old woman, uh, that. That's just really unlikely, especially if she's having some sleep issues, especially if she's living an active lifestyle and has just even normal stress like everybody else, because this is the this is the kind of situation we see over and over and over and over. Uh, so I, I disagree with the progesterone as you do. Uh, it is a little bit of a miracle what a little bit of thyroid, the type, you know, the right dose of a thyroid and some bioidentical progesterone can do for a woman like this. Yeah, absolutely. Bioidentical progesterone, not you know, conventional or any of the progestins or any of that garbage, but a bioidentical progesterone would be really nice. And also some people, you know, we have a lot of people that can't take progesterone, you know, they're sensitive or unique or whatnot is possibly doing some, you know, some you not, not necessarily hormones, but like herbs that help stimulate the luteinizing hormone, which then stimulates a progesterone, which we probably could go on an hour about luteinizing hormone, follicular stimulating hormone, all that. But, but really like Vitex, um, chase tree berry is a beautiful one that stimulates, that can help kind of augment progesterone. I find evening primrose oil, which isn't, doesn't have any hormones in it, seem to sort of balance that a little bit as well. So that might be a nice option. Yeah, right. Evening primrose contains gamma linolenic acid, which is an omega-3 fatty, or uh, which is a an essential fatty acid, not an omega-3. It's actually an omega-6, um, but it's in that category. Borage, uh, evening primrose, those are all, you know, um, all contain gamma linolenic acid, which uh, is a you know, has some very significant anti-inflammatory properties. Uh, also using uh, GLA in dry eye. Um, that has been coming up. There's a, a just a, you know, kind of a tangent. There's a product that uh, people have been using for a long time called BioTears. And one of the main ingredients in that product is gamma, uh, you know, is a source of gamma linolenic acid. Uh, so, um, you know, just, uh, you know, that's what... Uh, 
like for example, PMS, PMS, you know, is in some ways kind of an inflammatory process. So you take those, uh, those essential fatty acids and it helps to kind of tone that down a little bit. And it actually has an effect on certain inf- pro-inflammatory enzymes we're not going to go into right now, but you know, certainly can be helpful in a situation like this. And the pharmagaba and the L-theanine, you know, so it kind of, I kind of use those a little bit differently. L-theanine I'll use in the evening and I use L-theanine all day. You know, if you're stressed out, you get a email or you have a chronic issue going on of stress, you know, L-theanine can really calm you. If you have a speech to give, you can take L-theanine right before. It doesn't decrease performance, but it just kind of brings down the anxiousness. It brings down that stress. Um, So that's a nice thing for people to take if they're kind of stressed out and they have a lot of things on their mind at night. I love Pharmagaba because that helps, you know, bring down that cortisol and relaxes you. Sometimes I'll use Pharmagaba more in the middle of the night. So if you're waking up at, you know, 1.30, 2.30, 3.30, you can take a little Pharmagaba to help you go back to sleep quickly, but then you, it won't make you feel groggy or tired if you have to wake up, you know, five, six, or seven. But so I would say maybe it might not be a bad idea for, you know, somebody in Marissa's case like this, where the pharmagaba is helping her get back to sleep, but it's not keeping her from waking up is like we had talked about earlier is doing some other, you know, kind of relaxing or calming adrenal supplements like I like, you know, phosphatidylserine, you know, that's a great one to take in the evening time to kind of help keep you sleeping. But just on a side note, as a female in her forties, myself right now, more like late forties, but (laughs) getting there, (laughs) getting to the late forties. But I wish, you know, a lot of us and we're girls, we have smaller bladders. It's really hard to not have to go to the bathroom at once a night. You know, sure. unless you're stopped drinking water at 630 and then you're dehydrated and you wake up a little dehydration headache. So, I, you know, instead is I would rather, hey, you know, wake up, go to the bathroom, lay back down and then go back to sleep. And that's, you know, I think that's reasonable. Yeah, right. Like I said earlier, when we're trying to get someone, we're not going to get them necessarily, if they're already having sleep trouble, getting them to an A quality sleep is probably not going to happen. Um, but that, you know, one time a night where they have to wake up uh, and if they do have to use the restroom, as long as they get that chunk before and the chunk after, uh, that way they're getting as much un- uninterrupted sleep as possible. That's the key to be able to get down to those proper restorative stages of sleep that are necessary. Uh, and we need to get, what, three to five of those cycles a night. And if you're waking up every 90 minutes or every hour, you're not going to get to any of that restorative sleep. And now that's going to spill over, like we said, into everything else that we do. Another little uh, trick or another little uh, clinical pearl uh, is using another amino acid besides uh, L-theanine. I, pr- I like to use, in addition to that, I like to use glycine especially if you're waking up in the middle of the night with those racing thoughts. Uh, you know, you wake up, you're panicked, you're thinking about your to-do list, you know, the day, the next day and a million things you got to get done. Glycine uh, in a powder form, not capsules, but in a powder form so you can control the dose a little bit more effectively. That can be a great way to help, you know, again, have an effect on cortisol, kind of calm the mind. And now that adrenaline response doesn't happen in the middle of the night. Oh, yes, definitely. Glycine. And it doesn't taste bad. It comes as a powder. I tell people to put it like in a water bottle. Maybe drink a little if they're kind of having some, you know, racing mind before they go to bed. They could drink half of the bottle, put it by their bedside table. So if they do wake up with maybe their hearts beating and they've they've got some thoughts in their head or feeling a little stressed out for the next, you know, for that, for waking up that morning, then they can just reach over and drink the rest of it. Yeah, right. Uh, So um, we're kind of following through the way that we think about cases like this. So we talked about adrenal function morning and evening. We talked about adding in. Uh, some progesterone possibly, uh, talking about 
is switching and increasing her thyroid medication. Now, there's nothing wrong with Armour. There's nothing wrong with MP Thyroid. There's nothing wrong with Nature Thyroid. Those are fine. We, we do use them quite often. We prefer to use compounded thyroid. Uh, and in her case, with her TSH, the goal for her TSH would be right about, uh, right about one. So when you're switching medications like that, the conversion is not an exact conversion. So you just have to use a little bit of you know experience and switch and increase simultaneously and then tweak that dose over time. So it probably takes about anywhere from a couple of months to maybe up to six months to get that dose right. So you, when you make that increase, you don't overshoot the mark and she becomes over-medicated, but her TSH definitely needs to come down. I, I absolutely agree. Yeah, so uh, one last thing that I mm-hmm. think would be uh, important just to mention. She says diet-wise, her blood sugar in the morning is typically 80, which is... Very good. I think it's really good. But it's almost kind of borderline too low, right? It's almost when you see, now granted, she fits the profile of where an 80 blood sugar is is actually her normal, right? Because that's where blood sugar should are supposed mm-hmm. to be in, let's say the, the 80s anywhere is usually a really good number. Now, occasionally, like I said a few minutes ago, those patients that have hypoglycemic type responses during the day, they go a few too many hours without food. And the ones that have that problem know who they are, right? They cannot go more than three or four hours without food. Um, but when in the morning, when you see a fasting blood sugar, and it's, you know, in the 70s or even in the 60s, now you know that there's something going on there. So she's right on the cusp of that, of it being, even though it seems normal, it seems almost excellent, it's almost too excellent. Uh, uh, And that's where it kind of raises some red flags. And cortisol's main job in the body, cortisol's number one job, it's uh, classified, and we've said this on the other podcast, but it's classified as a glucocorticoid. So it is a steroid hormone that affects blood sugar. That's what cortisol's job is. So insulin will bring your blood sugar down and cortisol plus a few other hormones will actually bring your adrenaline is the other one will bring your blood sugar up. Okay. So if there's a a lack of cortisol, there's not enough cortisol to go around. That's why your body kind of steps in there and dumps in a bunch of adrenaline uh, and now it becomes, you know, uh, your cortisol rising is normal, right? We don't become symptomatic from that, but your body dumps in some cor- uh, some adrenaline because it doesn't have any cortisol left. That's where the symptoms come from. Now, we're not necessarily physiologists and we're just kind of talking this little bit off the cuff. So we're not trying to be exactly accurate. This is more in a practical sense so people can understand. We're not trying to talk over anybody's head. Uh, But we've all known someone that fits that kind of uh, situation. I think, Marissa, my speculation would be that she probably does fit into that to a certain extent. Uh, And she says, dietarily, this is the point that I wanted to bring up. She eats mainly vegetables, uh, but focuses on all food groups. Uh, From my experience, that she is probably under eating on a regular basis. Uh, You cannot sustain yourself by eating mainly vegetables. There's not enough essential fatty acids or essential amino acids in that kind of a diet. Uh, Not to mention, she's probably calorie deficient. And if you are caloric, if you're in a chronic caloric deficit on a regular basis, that puts a huge amount of stress on your adrenals. Uh, It's almost invariable. And that's something, again, this exact age, uh, you know, age bracket, 
is something that we see all of the time. You're trying to do everything right. You're trying to eat less, exercise more to maintain your weight because once you get into perimenopause, it's very challenging to maintain your weight. Uh, and now that, you know, that turns into its own problem on the back end. Exactly. I mean, I can understand it. She's 44 years old. Her She's hypothyroid. Her thyroid's underdosed. So she probably has to maybe, you know, focus a little bit more on vegetables to maintain her weight just because her metabolism might be slow just because of the thyroid, the female hormones, and the adrenals. So, Honestly, it doesn't mean, Marissa, stop eating vegetables. Vegetables are awesome. They have lots of nutrients, lots of minerals. But if, you know, and like you said, you are focusing on all food groups. So she is mentioning that. It might be maybe, like you said, maybe just making sure you're not becoming deficient in the protein or deficient especially in the essential fatty acids. Yeah, right. Or just essential, uh, just fat in general. Not even fat, f- essential fatty acids, just a small component, but just fat calories in general uh, and just calories in general, right? Uh, I talk to people all the time about, uh, you know, track your calories for a week, see what your average is. And I guarantee you, she's probably, you know, 1500 calories or less where she, with her exercise four days a week, she needs to be over 2000 calories a week. Okay. Now that's really scary. You mean uh, a day? Uh, I'm sorry, a day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. A day. Uh, you know, and now granted, you don't have to necessarily be at 2000 calories every day, but your, you know, you basically your weekly average or your average caloric intake over time needs to be close to what that maintenance level is. And the more activity you do, the more calories you need to eat. And if you don't, now you're putting a, uh, a constant um, stressor on your adrenals that the body can't really overcome. You're basically literally in starvation mode on a regular basis. That I think is a big component because she's doing a lot of things right. Um, I think that is a, is a component that needs to be addressed. Yeah, something maybe to, to look at there. Yeah. Uh, so um, I think we, you know, kind of hash this one out. Hopefully there's some good information for Marissa to, uh, you know, to kind of, you know, think about and contemplate. Uh, we kind of laid it out in a, uh, hopefully not, uh, we didn't drone on for too much, but this one is, I think, um, challenging, right? It's how, you know, it's, we even talked about this as we we're preparing for it. Like it's really difficult to try to get someone to, you know, um, sleep better when it's, you know, they're waking up in that very specific time. Like how do you, you know, how do you really approach that in an effective way? Um, but as you can see, as we laid out, there's a food component, there's a activity component, there's an adrenal component, there's a thyroid component, there's a progesterone component, uh, or a female hormone component. Uh, I mean, that that's really complicated. That, that's extremely complicated to get the net result of, I want to sleep better. Okay. But no, and, and at the same time, you've, we've got to look at it that way. You've got to look at it as, you know, the body as a whole, not compartmentalizing, you know, different, you know, different glands, your GI system, your thyroid endocrinology, you know, everybody compartmentalizes, you know, compartmentalizes medicine. You know, I got my cardiologist, I got my gynecologist, I've got my GI doctor. I, I mean, and that's great. You got to have a healthcare team, but just like we kind of laid it out, you got to look at it this way. Yeah, right. It has to be now granted she's waking up in the middle of the night. She's having, you know, uh, an increase in heart rate. Uh, she asks if it's hormonal or adrenals. Well, in some ways they're both hormones. It's both. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. totally, it's totally both. And, uh, you know, uh, this is a, 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 again, this is a, a, in some ways, kind of a classic case, one that's hard to address, but at the same time, it's kind of simple, you know, as simple as well. And she, like I said, she's doing a lot of things right, just a couple of tweaks here and there, and I guarantee you, she'll, her quality of sleep would go from probably a C minus to a B plus in, in, in a relatively short order. It's- 
Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Do you have uh, anything else to say? We've been kind of talking. This has been a little bit of a longer episode <laughs> than we typically do. No, I was just saying, you know, any of you listeners listening to this podcast, if you want to learn a little bit more about the ghost, the zombie, and the vampire with the adrenals and sleep, because I know we tried to sum it up a little bit. You can always listen to podcast number 69. And I also, at the same time, wrote a blog on that, too, So if, um, where you could go in there and read the article as well. I think it's um, adrenal fatigue and sleep or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and on uh, show notes, on our website we do post up the transcription of the podcast on the website and you can actually download the actual you know pdf of the transcription uh and i you know i look at you know the dashboard and the analytics and i know that actually people read the transcription mm-hmm. you know probably saves them some time they oh, can yeah. just scan through it really fast you know uh, now, we don't edit the transcription very much. We don't do too much there. It's pretty much as we say it for the most part. Uh, so if there's any typos or things that don't make any sense, you know, we apologize ahead of time. But, you know, again, for people that are quick uh, and like to read and scan and don't have time to listen to a, you know, a 45-minute podcast, uh, you know, the, or, or if you're trying to pay attention, you know, uh, another thing that I know that happens is people are trying to pay attention to the numbers, right, where they want to see it in writing when we're talking about a TSH of this and a free T3 of that and, you know, that's hard to, it's hard to wrap your brain around those numbers unless you see it actually in person or people, I know people are actually writing notes down um, as, you know, as they're listening to the podcast so they can, you know, they can visually see what those numbers look like. So uh, until next time, I'm Dr. Mackey. And I'm Dr. Davidson. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Progress Your Health podcast. If you like what you've heard on this podcast, please give us a positive review on iTunes. This allows us to spread our message, grow our audience, and help more people around the world. For more information, visit our website at progressyourhealth.com.